Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Now, I don't know if you are following the current football season, but we are in that familiar time, isn't it? If you are an Arsenal fan, you know what's coming. (laughs) And I don't want to spend my time talking about how my team hasn't won anything, the Premier League, for the last, what, since 1855 or something. But you know what's happening. And at this time, Arsenal fans, two things happen to them. You say, the first thing is this, oh my God, not again. Right? Oh my God, not again. It's happening. We still don't have somebody that is stealing in that midfield. Why don't they defend very well? And I know what's going to happen. We are going to finish third or fourth. We will qualify for the Champions League and that's it. The second thing, if you are an old enough Arsenal fan, you start, you start to reminisce. You start to think of the good days. The late 90s, early 2000s. Names like Dennis Bergkamp, Robert Perez, Kanu Wankwa, David Seaman. Those names start, you start to think of the Invincibles, Ashley Cole. And when you think about all these names, one name rises above all. It was the man we called Igwe, Thierry Henry, the king. Now, I could go on and on and on and on about Arsenal, but I will not. I will spare you that today. So let's, let's take it to another, another sport, basketball, NBA. The year is 2014. A rumor is circling around. Could it be? Will he return? You see, a few years before that, there was a guy who, before he had gone to the NBA, in high school already, the whole of the United States of America was celebrating him. This guy was a wonder kid. His name, LeBron James. And he came into this franchise, the Cleveland Cavaliers. He was born in Cleveland. And he, I mean, the the team was a bit of a nonsense, let's be honest. They were rubbish. But LeBron James immediately started to put them on the winning map. And he did everything, did everything, did everything. Eventually got them to the final, they lost, 4-0. And so he started to think, man, I have to think about myself. And then we had what you called the decision. LeBron James left his hometown. The ultimate Judas, he left. He went to the fantastic beaches of Miami, and he joined the Miami Heat. And he had a nice time there, four finals. He won two of them. Everything was fine. But 2014 came, and the rumors started swirling. Is he going to return? Is he going to return? Well, 2014 came, and he did to Cleveland. And everybody was talking about the return of who? The king the king. And he told the whole city, this city had not won a major sporting title in almost 50 years. And he told the city, follow me. I'll carry on my back. I'll deliver. And so the first year came. No one really expected it. But LeBron took them to the final once again, and they met this mighty team called the Golden State Warriors. All of a sudden, what happened? Two of his teammates had actually, very, very key teammates, they were injured. And so LeBron was the only one left. 
and was tied at 1-1, and his teammates had now been injured. So everybody knew, well, it was, they were all going to lose. And the next game, LeBron played like Superman. They won 2-1. Remember, it's the best of seven, first to four. But after that, the next game they lost, even though he played his heart out. The next game they lost. He played his heart out. And the next game they lost. Champions, Golden State Warriors. He didn't deliver. The king? Are you sure? And then 2015 came. And the season started. Now, these Golden State Warriors, people have been talking about them that maybe it was a fluke. Then in the regular season, before the playoffs and the finals, what happened? They become the greatest team ever because they win more games than any other team that has ever won, including Michael Jordan's Bulls. And these same Golden State Warriors had the best player in the NBA for the last two years. And now they faced LeBron, the King, and his Cavs again in the final. Best of seven. First to four. What happens? After four games, Golden State Warriors are 3-1 up. And so, what do the Cleveland Cavaliers have? They have one more game at home, two more games in Golden State, in Oakland. And LeBron is facing the two-time defending most valuable player. He's facing the greatest regular team ever. And then he's facing, in a 3-1 deficit, a return that no NBA team has ever had in the final. First game, over 40 points, 3-2. Second game. Over 40 points, 3-3. And fourth game, with the final, with time ticking, and Andre Godala is about to make that basket, what happens? From nowhere, the king comes. And we have now, not just the, the, the decision, the return, we now have the block. And at the end of the day, the king emerges. Now, I do not want to have an alternative career in basketball commentating. <laughs> I saw all of this to make one particular point. The king came, there was an expectation, and the king delivered. The Cleveland Cavaliers and the whole city of Cleveland had always seen themselves as oppressed and victims because they had not won a title. They were an oppressed city in sporting terms. And then the king came, and he delivered them. And Israel themselves saw themselves as an oppressed nation. And they were waiting for the return of the king. Will you at this time deliver the kingdom back to Israel? They were waiting for the king. And this is where the Christmas story turns everything upside down. Because our narrative of salvation is always this. We are oppressed... We are the victims. May God come and deliver us from my enemies. Every enemy that is in my mother's village fall down our hand because we are what? The victims. The oppressed ones. We talked about the different kinds of Caesars. We look at Syria. We look at what's happening in the Gambia. We look at almost every other African nation. And we see all the Caesars there and we say, Father, deliver us. We look at the tyranny in the economy. We look at every single thing and we say, we are victims. Father, deliver us. We want to see the king return. Do you? Because here's what Christmas tells us. Though we have all those Caesars there, we ourselves are mini Caesars. You see, we are not just the victims and the oppressed. What Christmas tells us is that we are rebels. 
We are mini Caesars in that we want to always have rulership of our own lives. In fact, we want to be like our first parents. We want to be gods over our lives. You say, no, I'm not, really. Are you the kind of person here that talks so much about yourself? What you've accomplished? I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. Or you are the kind of person that talks so much about yourself, about what you have not accomplished. Both of those things are pride. In other words, you are a mini Caesar. We are not just mini Caesars ourselves, but we make mini Caesars out of things, out of money. We're in Lagos. Out of reputation. What will people say about me? So you are under the tyranny of, make, of not being able to make a decision. Why? Because something else is your God. When this baby came in, remember he said he is God and Caesar is not, including you. You see, the world's unending problems are as a result of our unending failures. This is what the Bible calls sin. The motivations and then the actions that come out from wanting to be gods of our own lives. You say you want to see the king. He's going to deliver us, really? Who here likes to be exposed? Now, I understand, right? The guy meets a girl for the first time. I says, ah, Femi, you don't understand. It's like this girl, she, she knows me. She knows me. You know? Our hearts is like they beat together. Boom, boom, boom. Ra, pom, pom, pom. Why? Because there's something about the fact that when you meet someone, you have similar interests. Before you complete the sentence, the person already knows what you're going to say. We love being known that way. But as soon as someone starts trying to talk about your faults, or if someone starts to know your deepest secrets, your deepest flaws, and we start to talk about it, that makes us feel uncomfortable. Am I the only one? Now, in that vein, this king that is coming, that we're all looking for, guess what? He knows not just what you're about to say, he knows your very heart. You want to be in his presence? Oh my God, that would be deeply uncomfortable. And so when he says that his name is Emmanuel, he's coming to dwell with us, that should bring about terror. The angel says, fear not. You should be very scared. And worse off, it's not that he's coming to dwell with us alone. He's coming to rule over us. If he's coming to deliver us from our enemies, guess what? The enemy is within. Where do you think he will end up? And so that's a scenario of a very, very bad situation. There is a bad situation. And now I've given you bad news. You should be fearful. But the angels did not say that in, chapter, in verse 10. In verse 10 of chapter 2, they said, Fear not, for we bring you what? Good news. Why? Because this Messiah, who is the Lord, and has been born in the city of David, is also what? A Savior. You see, many times we, when we become gods, we want to be our own saviors. You say, but I do very good things for people. 
In other words, you are your own savior. You expect God to weigh you on the things you've done for your parents, on the things you've done for your children, on the things you've done for your society. You're a good person. Congratulations, you're a savior to yourself. And yet, you continue to do those things more and more and more because you feel you've not done enough. Or you say, Femi, I have suffered so much in this world. So now you deserve salvation because you've suffered. Even our good things, when seen in that light, they become the very things that condemn us. Oh, how we need a savior. Not just a king, but a savior who is a king. But what will he come and deliver us from? Matthew 1 verse 21 in the reading. He is not coming to first deliver us from Caesar. He is not first coming to deliver us from poverty. He is not coming to deliver us from our mothers-in-law. He's coming to deliver us from our sins. His name is Jesus, for he shall save people from their sins. You see, if God for politics was our biggest problem, he would have sent us a politician. If God thought that economics was our, was our biggest problem, he wouldn't send us so many economists who are so confused, they don't even know what they are saying. He, wouldn't have sent, he would have sent us an economist. If he thought that health was our biggest problem, he would have sent us a physician. If he thought boredom was our biggest problem, he would have sent us Alibaba. But God saw that sin was our biggest problem. And so he sent us a savior king. This God hates sin. And he judges it rightly. Because when we look around, we say there's so much injustice in this world. So much injustice. So what are we looking for? We are looking for judgment. Because you cannot have justice without having judgment. We are saying, somebody deliver me of my adversary. We want justice. We want someone put in jail if there's corruption, isn't it? Put them in jail. And God says, fine, I'll put them in jail, but I'll also put you in your own jail. How? Where's the tension? This Savior King has come. And yet God must judge sin. And this is what Christmas teaches us. That when this Savior King came, because he must bring judgment, at Christmas, he didn't bring judgment, but he came to bear the judgment. This is what we call grace. It is not something you can earn, neither is it something you deserve. If you could earn it, then your works will actually bring it to you. But your same works condemn you. If you deserve it, then it's no longer grace. And you are therefore not part of the problem, but the Bible says we are a part of the problem. Christmas tells us, not that we are so special, but that we are so loved. And the only way we experience the love and the light of Christmas is for us to believe and admit what the Christmas story says about us. It says that we live for our own selves. We live to make our own selves great. We live to make ourselves gods. But there is one God. There is one Lord. And that's not us. His name is Jesus. If you admit this, this is what the Bible says repentance is. And if you cry out to him, this is what the Bible says faith and belief is. And if you are somebody who has already made that commitment, what the Bible says, don't start out that way and continue to live as though works will continue to save you. 
Christmas is. The celebration of the, ex, of the coming king who has come and now reigns. Christmas is the celebration of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has united heaven and earth by his coming as being the God that is man, and will one day unite heaven and earth together and will dwell in us in a recreated world where God alone will be glorified forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.